Blog Talk Radio. Please join me, Donna Bearstein, in welcoming tonight's very special guest, Dan Millman, author of Way of the Peaceful Warrior and 15 other books. Dan is also a former world champion gymnast, martial arts instructor, college professor, university coach, and from what I have heard, a genuinely nice human being. We had originally scheduled tonight's talk to include Dan's daughter, Sierra Millman Prasada, who is also a writer and co-author with Dan of The Creative Compass, Writing Your Way from Inspiration to Publication. Unfortunately, Sierra is not able to join us on this call, but I'm sure her presence will be with us and with you when you buy their co-authored book, which is a terrific tool for all creative writers. Way of the Peaceful Warrior was first published in the 1980s after Dan had already established an impressive career as an athlete. He won the Trampoline World Championship in London and four gold medals in gymnastics at the Maccabea Games. He also led the Stanford Gymnastics team to national prominence. After traveling around the world to study yoga and martial arts, Dan eventually returned home to California and discovered his true passion as an author and a motivational speaker. The Creative Compass combines Dan's and Sierra's experiences in writing fiction and nonfiction, theater and film adaptation. Sierra is also currently adapting Dan's best-selling novel, The Journeys of Socrates, into a screenplay. A warm welcome indeed to the truly inspirational Dan Millman. Dan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, this is this is truly a treat for me to have a chance to speak with you. Uh, I read Way of the Peaceful Warrior when it first came out in 1980, and it was such a fantastic, uh, truly groundbreaking book. One of the quotes in that book, which I pulled out, my original copy, one of the quotes in that book is, the journey is what brings us happiness, not the destination. This seems to apply so directly and beautifully to the writing life as well, which is what you and Sierra have focused on in your newest book, The Creative Compass. And this, this, The Creative Compass is terrific. It's such a well-considered and helpful book for writers at all stages of their writing journeys. And I was curious, I wanted to ask you, um, what, what led you to write this book for writers and to collaborate with your daughter, Sierra? A good place to start out, Donna. Um, and the fact is, I had, after my book and then uh, second book, third book, fourth book, and so on, started uh, getting wider distribution, people would naturally contact me and ask, can you give me any advice? I'm an aspiring writer. I, I like to journal. I-, I hope to be published someday. I write short stories. Can you give me any advice? And I made up a couple of pages that I would email people, just some observations and reminders, very practical things about writing. Um, For example, uh, if I can make a brief um, tangent here, um, I would remind them that there are two kinds of writers, amateur writers who do it as a calling and professional writers who do it as a career. And the primary, you know, amateur writers can be very skillful, just like amateur athletes can be very skillful. Uh, It's not meant to be a pejorative term. But amateurs only have to ask one question about their writing, which is, what do I want to express? 
It's simply a form of self-expression, as in writing in a journal. Whereas professionals have to ask another question, which is what do people want to read? Uh, they have to think more about their audience and empathize. If they were you know, imagining their target reader, their ideal reader, and writing for them rather than just, what do I want to write about? And it's more likely then to reach a wider audience. Um, yes. So those are the kind of things I used to send people. And after I did that for a while, I got the idea, you know, maybe someday, with, with after, you know, I'd written about four, 13 or 14 books, uh, fiction and nonfiction and so on, I said, maybe, maybe someday I'll write a book on writing. I'll give back after 20, 25 years in, in, in the uh, profession. I can help other writers. And I knew there were many writing books out there, but I wanted to write something a little different. So when the time finally came, and like that cookie that said to Alice, you know, eat me. I mean, it was like uh, the time the book said, write me. And that's when it became natural to contact my daughter, Sierra, who was then grown. Because when she was young, she, I, would, I would offer her editorial suggestions about her work and critique her early writing. And as she grew older and more skilled, considerably more skilled, um, she would start to critique my work. I'd send her my drafts. She had started editing some of my more recent books. did such a great job um, that out of mutual respect and trust, when it was time to write a writing book, I said, hey, why don't we do this together? And it may turn out to be a better book than either one of us might write alone. And that's how it turned out. And one more thing I'll add in terms of our collaboration. Um, collaborations are never easy, but... Um, I have so much respect for his skill that um, the fact is people might imagine, oh, Dan, he's been writing for 30 years, best-selling books, 29 languages, and so on, that, it, oh, it was so nice he let his daughter contribute. Well, that's not the reality. The reality is that she came up with the structure of the book, which is this five-stage creative process we can talk about. She okay. came up with the chapter titles, the topics, uh, she wrote half the chapters, I wrote half the chapters, then we edited each other, and then she rewrote mine and improved it considerably. So really, she uh, did a, a lot of the heavy lifting in this book, and it, it really shows. Um, we hope that it will be a go-to book for writers, as you say, on the complete phase from dreaming about a book to sharing that book, the completed book, and all the stages in between to show writers a path of that journey. Yes, and one of the one of the most engaging elements of of the book, I think, is that both you and Sierra are present in the book, and you have chapters that are identified as yours, where you're talking about your own personal journeys as a writer and the demons of inertia, self doubt, except et cetera, that you've faced along the way, and and um, the way you have worked with each other on each other's writing. So it becomes a very personal. It's like sitting with the two of you in a room, really, and talking. And and I also wanted to add, I I have a writing group meeting at my home tomorrow night, and I'm I'm sharing the book with them. So it's oh, it's nice. it's just oh, nice. it's it's uh there's just such a wealth of um, advice and wisdom in it. And and you mentioned the one of the one of the structural bones of the book that you said Sierra came up with were, um, were these um, five stages of the creative process. And I'd love to hear you tell our listeners a bit more about these stages. 
I'd be happy to summarize each of them to, to provide that sort of aerial map of the journey. Um, I might say we, we really strove, and I think we succeeded in speaking with one voice in the in the printed book or in the e-book, um, where you can't really tell who's writing what, except, as you pointed out, in each section, uh, each of those stages, we each do one memoir chapter where Sierra will write from her viewpoint, I'll write from mine, where we share directly our own experience and own perspectives. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the book combines um, both of our voices and a combined 50 years, really, of writing experience. Um, so our goal for people who read the book or, or listen to it um, uh, is really to share many, you know, decades of experience where they go in understanding what it really takes and how to do it and, and what the process is about. So it's neither just a memoir book, nor is it only a book on rules for writing or creating solid characters. And, you know, all that's all in there. Everything is in there, I think. Yes. So yep. in any case, let's let's start. You know, when when you mentioned that quote from uh, the Peaceful Warrior movie, that adaptation from my book and, and from the book, that, that it's not just the destination that makes us happy, it's it's the journey. That's true, and yet, without a destination in mind, there is no journey. We just wander around. So it, if we're at point A, it's good to have a point B, some kind of goal um, to draw us into that journey. And so when we make the journey of, of creativity, whether it's in writing, and it works the same if we're composing music or poetry, another kind of writing, of course, or uh, painting a picture or making a sculpture, any creative process begins with a dream, begins with an idea, something we call a sticky idea. Not just a good idea, but one that won't let us go, that we can't forget, um, and that is worth a year or more of our time, depending on the kind of uh, writing we're doing. So the dream phase we go into in the beginning of the book uh, about coming up with those ideas, create creative ideas, and ideas that work for us, meaningful ideas, um, and there are some techniques, practical things we bring into that chapter, such as dreaming and dialogue. Um, how do we talk with ourselves to generate writing and generate ideas? And it can be very productive. Um, and then from the dream stage, we go into the uh, drafting stage. And this is very significant because it's fine to dream, but uh, at, at some point we need to act. Otherwise, all we do is dream. And, you know, that saying, it, it, you don't want to act without thinking or, or think without acting. So the draft stage is writing uh, from beginning to end with the idea of a complete bringing that dream, that idea, into reality. It has its own challenges because what's written on the page, we might dream of a castle, and when we put it on the page, it's a shack. Mm-hmm. But we can then recreate that shack and refurbish it and revise it. So... Once the muscular effort, literally, of putting that though, down the words, whether we record into a, a digital, you know, record the thing out loud and transcribe it later or use uh, Dragon Speaker, there's many ways to, comp- to, to compose a book. It doesn't have to be sitting in a keyboard. It can be with pen and paper or it can be recording it. Um, so the draft stage, again, is bringing it into reality. We go into all the challenges that happen, the doubts that happen, 
Um, you know, Ray Bradbury said it very in an earthy manner, he, he, uh, the wonderful science fiction writer and fantasy writer. He said, writing consists of two phases, throwing up and cleaning up. And that's right, pretty much right. what it feels like. Yep. Um, yes. So it's, it's, we tell people the object is not to write well, but to write onward. Trying to write too well in the first draft isn't realistic. We tend to judge ourselves too quickly. We need to just get the stuff down, and then we can clean it up. Of course, some people work from a strict outline. Others wing it creatively. There are different ways, and one isn't better than the other. They're just different styles we go into. You see, we're not, in the book, Sierra and I are not telling people to write our way. We're telling, showing them how to write their way, what's natural to them, but do it better. That's why the subtitle of the Creative Compass is Writing Your Way from Inspiration to Publication. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't want to make this monologue too long, but let me just say the next draft is a key one, I mean the next stage of the creative process, because most writers jump from the second stage, which is drafting. They jump right to refining. You know, they write a few drafts, one, each one's better than the last, and then they jump into how to polish the words and word choice and clean it up and make it look really nice. But they skip the all-important middle stage, the third stage of the creative process, which is development. To develop work means, first of all, this is not a bad stage to get some trusted friends who are willing to read your rough draft um, to give feedback about it. And we even give specific kinds of questions we can ask them uh, to help guide them, to give us good, useful feedback. The one question we don't recommend asking at the early stages is, do you like it? Because what yeah. are they going to do? They're going to say yes or no. Or, or, you know, oh, I found it very interesting. But that doesn't really help us. So that development stage is when we get feedback and we step back from the work. And then we can revise and, if necessary, throw out everything but one paragraph and go from there. It's happened many times. But restructuring. And those who are willing to do that, willing to go through that difficult phase, um, often it makes a difference between a book getting an agent, getting an editor, getting a publisher, and doing well after publication. So then Mm -hmm. we come very quickly to the refined stage, which is that's the time to worry about words, language, uh, and make those choices and clean up our work and trim and prune. When in doubt, cut it out, that sort of thing. And then finally, the share stage. It's what many writers who may be listening to the program go, well, I've got a manuscript. Now what? What do I do with it? And we go into details about how it's much easier to get published today. It's actually harder to get published by a mainstream big publisher, uh, one of the big houses. But it is easy for anyone to publish their work. It used to be a default, you know, oh, you know, I have to self-publish because nobody's interested. But now, many established writers choose to self-publish. You know, they create e-books, audiobooks. Um, and, and so the share stage, we go into every aspect of what to do when you've got a manuscript. And sometimes it means cycling back to the develop stage and redoing it and then going back to refining. So we go into all that in the book. I'll, I'll mention one more thing because um, you mentioned the book and to really feel like you're sitting down with my daughter and I, uh, if, if people, if your listeners love to, you know, if they listen, they listen to the program, they might enjoy the audiobook. Because Sierra and I both speak to them directly in the audiobook and we alternate chapters. 
So you don't just get tired of hearing my voice, which you may already be tired of. But um, not at all. You actually, no, you actually hear me, then Sierra, then me, and it works beautifully. Uh, the audio, we had a great time doing this, uh, collaborating on this as well. So one can read it or one can listen to the book or both. Yes, and I know there's also an interview with you and Sierra, a video interview with you and Sierra on your on the New World Library site that people might be interested in seeing too where you talk back and forth. So that's that's wonderful as well. Oh, um, by the way, there's also uh probably a much better uh interview um at Sierra's website. Um it's okay. Sierra Sierra Prasada. Sierra like the mountains, S I E R R A and her writing name is Prasada P like in popcorn R A S A-D-A, prasada.com, and there is, uh, I think, a better interview of both of us presenting um, the book at her site. Okay, great, great. Um, I think two things. Um, First of all, I think it's such a gift to people who want to write to learn from people who've been writing for a while that it's fine to write a crummy first draft and um the as you said the the important thing is just moving forward on that writing journey and getting something on the page and then going back what really intrigued me in the book and and as you're talking here is this this third step of develop um which as you said is not something that a lot of writers think about um and and you, you talk about developing different layers of a story um i wondered if you could could expand on that a little bit be happy to. These are good questions. Um, you know, we also share quotations from many other writers because we believe yes, that there were we, great use, quotes. we use not only all the brains we have but all we can borrow. So we share not only our wisdom and experience but some of the pithy insights. Uh, we And we took great pains to gather the best quotations. For example, the section developed, that third stage of the creative journey, uh, it starts with an anonymous quote. It says, a trip becomes a journey after you've lost your luggage. <laughs> and that's really typ- typical of the developed stage, where we go through this feeling of we've lost our luggage, where we get confused and we don't know if the book's any good, that creative intoxication, working on that first draft. Wow, where did that come from? That kind of fades into the distance, and we realize we really have to do some work to make this very readable. As Jack London, uh, we also quote in the book, uh, said, it takes hard writing to make easy reading. Um, mm-hmm. So this idea of, uh, we talk about the missing link, uh, why it's so important to develop and how sweat trumps talent. But also, we get into the cycles and layers of learning. And um, we, we emphasize there's no bad writing, there's just bad timing. Sometimes we it's not timed to make the writing good yet. We have these rough ideas we've laid down, and then it's time to see if they're in the right order, make macro changes. So um, I have a memoir chapter in that in that stage called The Cycles and Layers of Learning, and I, I draw upon uh, a story about how I learned to ride a unicycle. And you'd wonder, well, what in the world does that have to do with, with writing and creativity? Well, I go into, I, I'm not going to tell the, the longer version, but I, I go into how challenging it was to get up on a unicycle and have it fall out from under me many, many times. I came back to practice in, on a tennis court early in the morning every day, and um, I made very little progress the first week, do six pedals careening forward, and then the second week, maybe 12 pedals, and some days felt worse than ever. Um, but by the end of three weeks, I could 
do figure eights on the unicycle around the tennis court. And I learned two things from that process. I learned that um, everything is difficult until it becomes easy, including mm-hmm. writing. Writing is no different, really, from making, learning to build a cabinet or paint a picture or play the violin. It's, we're not very good at the start. Um, mm-hmm. We expect to be somehow. If we just feel inspired, we're going to create something marvelous. But it doesn't really work that way. Um, you work at it. You get better at it. And if, it, if you love doing it, if there's something about improving the work, that's what makes a difference. The second thing I learned, uh, which was an interesting phenomenon many people, many listeners might have encountered if they learned to play in a musical instrument or in writing, where when I was learning the unicycle, there were a couple of days where I, everything fell apart, where I felt worse than I was the week before, where I, my body was confused, my mind was confused, nothing seemed to work. But I found, I realized, the day after those so-called bad days, that's when I usually made a breakthrough if I persisted. And that can happen in our relationships. We hit a crisis point, and, uh, and but if we persist through it, we reach deeper levels of intimacy. The same thing happens in the creative process. That's why I relate riding a unicycle. And in fact, it became my master metaphor. We have a chapter in the book yes. for, uh, called you know, Finding Your Master Metaphor, which is something that was just inexplicably important to you. You don't know why. Maybe it was, you know... Uh, bird watching or, 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 or making your own garden and, and planting it. Uh, it doesn't have to be a big thing. I mean, gymnastics was my master metaphor. Yes. And all, all the training I did for Sierra, it was learning Arabic, largely self-taught. Uh, she can read it, write it. She lived in Beirut, Lebanon for three years as a journalist. Um, and that was she realized how she could learn anything after doing that. So that's what the master metaphor is like. It doesn't exactly tell us how to do a new challenge, but we know we can do it because we've done it before. We've, we've faced self-doubt. We've faced frustration, and we've pushed through it, and we say, I know the way because I've done it before. Yes, and, and in, the, in the section on master metaphor, you talk about it being your capacity to surpass limitation, which, again, you know, the, what's very interesting in your own um, professional life is, is the combination of athletics and writing and immense skill at both. And it interests, this, this interests me that you, um, I also, you also mentioned in the book, some, or in the draft stage, that it's a good idea to review the last few paragraphs. Um, not, not all the pages that you've written the day before, but just the last few pages, and you said that it's like a run, a runner stepping back in order to accelerate into the race. And um, I was just curious about this. I think there are many parallels between the writer and the athlete, and which which you've certainly embodied in your life. And I wondered if you had any other thoughts that you wanted to mention about that. Sure. I did refer to writing the first draft as an almost muscular effort. Obviously, it's not as um, uh, as, as active in a sense as an athlete out there training in the field or in the gymnasium, but it is difficult, just like athletics. It is difficult to write. And so writers develop these, these, uh, these tricks, and for some, they sit down and they read a little bit. They don't want to get... We, we, we caution people against getting bogged down and going back too much. 
um, but keeping the momentum forward. However, so for some people, just editing the last paragraph, and, and it reminds us where we were, and then moving on. Now, Sierra uses a method, which I, I've also used intuitively, where she doesn't stop at a stopping point uh, in her writing day. She'll be right in the middle of a chapter that she's already scoped out. She knows what she's going to write, but it, she just goes through halfway. She knows what she's going to do next. That's when she stops because it makes yeah. it much easier to pick up the next day and start with that than at an actual stopping point, the end of a chapter, and then beginning a new chapter and having to build up all that momentum again. So there are tricks we can do and approaches, techniques. We find out what works best for each of us, but that is uh, one uh, pretty universal um, uh, tip that many writers can use to keep the momentum going. Yes, I think doesn't Hemingway say break mid sentence when you're when you're writing? Yeah, um yeah, the stars exactly. and actually something like that. Um that quote yeah. may even be in your book as well. Um also I know that Sierra is writing a screenplay now based on one of your other best selling books, Journeys with Socrates. And I wondered if you wanted to tell us a little bit about that on behalf of Sarah of Sierra or on behalf of yourself both. I I would love to. Um, okay. First of all, yes, I, I, let me take one step back first and address, sure. uh, for some people, maybe a small elephant in the room. That is, uh, I'm known more for being in the self-help or the uh, personal growth, inspirational genre. And, you know, many genre writers, uh, you know, it took Stephen King a long time to get any respect because he wrote, quote, unquote, horror novels um, and scary books. Uh, now we respect him as a writer who can do about anything, and he's seen, we've seen some wonderful movies of some of his works and so on. Um, and so people might go, well, yeah, Dan's not a literary writer. He, he doesn't write, you know, um, uh, things that the critics fall all over themselves because of the, the mastery of prose. Um, he's a self-help writer, and he writes, you know, books on, like The Life You Were Born to Live or No Ordinary Moments, uh, um, but the, the peaceful way of the peaceful warrior is a novel, certainly as is Journeys with Socrates. So well, they you, are. You they write beautifully. Are. So yeah, yeah, thank you. I, well, Way of the Peaceful Warrior was my first book, so I learned. And the Journeys of Socrates. One backhanded compliment I got: somebody who read both my books, uh, one after the next, uh, they read Peaceful Warrior, then the Journeys of Socrates, and they said, Dan, it's hard to believe the same person wrote these two books because I wrote one 25 years after the other. And I'd learned a few more things and, and refined my skills. So The Journeys of Socrates is a probably more sophisticated novel in many ways uh, than the, the basic story I wanted to teach, the fundamental ideas about, about the bigger picture of life and our, the higher promise of life in way of the peaceful warrior, which, of course, has gotten uh, a large following by now. Um, and so Sierra, um, I just, she has such a good analytical capacity. I... Uh, I I asked her if she'd consider uh, writing a screen adaptation for The Journeys of Socrates to make it more likely for us to be able to pitch the book to the movie companies and the story. And, and it's going to take a lot of work because what gaps I left in the book um, for uh, a traditional narrative, a three-act structure for a film, a meal for consciousness in about two hours, um, she is going to make up the gap. And so she's uh, hard at work uh, doing that adaptation. And uh, it's it's not wasn't a favor to her or a favor. It's more of a favor to me. I could have asked other people to write it, but 
um, she, I, I believe she'll, she'll do just a, a stellar job. As she, you know. So that's why I asked her in particular to adapt the book. In fact, she did some um, uh, very, very helpful editing. Um, my first draft of The Journeys of Socrates was 900 pages, and it oh, wandered all over the place. And one, uh, Sierra outlined it, restructured it, and said, Dad, you got to throw away the last 300 pages. Because uh, oh, I let awesome. two of the characters hijack the story from the protagonist. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, for those who don't know my work, the Socrates I'm talking about is not the ancient Greek, though he is sort of a spiritual role model um, or mentor. But it's the old man I met uh, in, that I describe in Way of the Peaceful Warrior, an old gas station attendant who was like a peaceful warrior. You know, he, he, he was living with a peaceful heart but a warrior spirit, which is true of all of us. Um, so uh, the journeys of Socrates is really his life story and it takes place in Russia um, uh, starting in 1872 uh, of course I did quite a bit of research we caution people in the creative compass uh, we caution people not to research more than you need to but to wait until you need to know something you know do some background study of course if you're going to write a book about a historical period uh, or a, a topic but you don't need to over-research. Wait till you find out where you're going and what you need. Then do the research. It's much more relevant, and you don't get bogged down in research that way. Yes, and I think you mentioned about looking for the story while you're doing the research as well, which is certainly true and helpful. Um, and for those also who don't know, Way of the Peaceful Warrior was made into a movie with Nick Nolte um, uh, in 2006, I believe. Is that right? Well, the the simple story, the simple answer is yes. Actually, the movie came out in a limited release in about, oh, 12 theaters in the country um, in 2006. And then it, uh, so to speak, went dark. Uh, after playing for a couple of weeks, it went dark. And it was a cult film. A lot of people, you know, certain people saw it. Many didn't even know about it because they spent not too much money on promotion. But only three films in cinema history in the United States, only three films have gone dark in a limited release, a few theaters, and then come back a year later to, be, to get a major release. Those three films are Bonnie and Clyde, American Graffiti, and mm-hmm. Way of the P- and Peaceful Warrior. Um, Universal, Universal Pictures put it out in 2007, and it was a wider release at that time. So it, it has been around for a while, and... and you know, it, it captured some of the content and spirit of the book. The books are usually better because they can go into more depth, but I thought it was a nice film. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And truly, you also, you mentioned, again, Where the Peaceful Warrior was published in 1980, I, and I believe I read that, that your publisher or bookstores, that really this is what started the whole New Age section in bookstores, um, correct? That 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 this was a new type of literature, really, which is certainly now there are many books published, and I also read that you don't really like that term, New Age, but but that it was um, a book that helped people remember, access um, the fact that spirit is in their lives and in the world around them. Um, and as we said, and you did that in the, in the novel, which is which made it certainly more accessible to people. Well, um, it's actually not a novel. It wouldn't be true to call it a novel, nor, nor would novel? nor would it be true to call it a memoir or autobiography. It actually is based on 
autobiographical uh, moments from my life, um, but I, put, I inserted fictional uh, elements for the sake of story. So it's a combination of both. And you're quite right. The book didn't quite fit into shamanism. It didn't fit into philosophy. It didn't fit into psychology uh, or religion. And they said, where do we put this? And my old publisher suggested a new category uh, called New Age. And so... Uh, that's the irony because the New Age category has become like the miscellaneous drawer many of us have in our kitchen where you throw in the occult, you throw in witchcraft, you throw in UFOs, you throw in Peaceful Warrior. And it's the oddest thing, but that's where it ended up. Now it falls into different categories. Now that's gained some respect um, by its longevity. Um, but So yes, uh, some of my books even have really nothing to do with New Age thought. Um mm-hmm are still in that section because it's become handy to, you know, shelf an author's book. And I'm very grateful, believe me, I'm, I'm not complaining. That's just the reality um, of uh, the different uh, categories and shelves a book right. can be put in. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I wonder um, if you have thought at all about, I'm sure you have actually, but if you could articulate a little bit how uh, writing and spirituality are connected, if you think they are, and if... Um, the process, if the act of writing is an act that can help repair the world, um, a little bit about. I, I, I read that your ancestors were Russian or Ukrainian Jews. Um, yes. I don't. If, I don't know if you're a practicing Jew now. It's it's Rosh Hashanah and Happy New Year if, to whether you are or not, to, and to our listeners. Um, but I'm. I'd like to hear you talk about any connection you see between spiritual practices and writing practices? Sure. Well, of course, it depends on what we mean by the word spirituality because many people, uh, for example, if I look it up, I see the quality or state of being concerned with religion or religious matters. Um, It's not a very good uh, definition. I mean, it even says the quality or state of being spiritual. Well, what does spiritual mean? To many, it's associated with religion or a particular set of beliefs or culture. Um, But I view spirituality in a broader context of uh, we live conventional lives here on earth. You know, I recommend to people in my various writings and seminars that we're here to live with our head in the clouds but our feet on the ground. And that's a stretch for some of us. So we're here to live both conventional lives but also to taste the transcendent. And to me, spirituality is that yearning we have to transcend, to understand the deeper uh, elements of ourselves and of life itself, uh, and some of the mysteries we encounter, uh, and the wonder, looking up at the, a starry sky, or, or looking at a birth or death of someone we know. Um, it puts us into a place where we consider these larger questions. To me, that's what spirituality is about and transcendence. So... Writing is a form of, of journaling, for example, whether, if, whether or not our thing, anything is ever published. When we write for ourselves, we come to know ourselves in a different way. It's a natural form of introspection and self-knowledge, which every religious and spiritual tradition agrees, know thyself, see ourselves realistically. And so writing, the process of writing, uh, helps us to do that, and it demands it as well, because the better we know ourselves, in fact, one of the chapters in the creative compass is know thyself. And so the better we know ourselves, the, the, the clearer we can understand other people. Um, so uh, 
I would say writing is a spiritual practice in itself. Yes, yes, great. And you, you, I love that was such a beautiful description about what spirituality is in life. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, and we are coming up to the end, but I'd love to. I'd love to talk forever with you, but uh, <laughs> this has been terrific. And and I want to give you a chance to um, give your website address and perhaps Sierra's again and um, if you can do that that would be great I'd be happy to thank you Donna um, if, if someone has enjoyed listening and says but I wanted to write something down I forgot what Dan mentioned the name of the book or or they'd like to know more about my work um, it's pretty easy to remember the website which is peacefulwarrior.com again peaceful heart warrior spirit so it's peacefulwarrior.com and they can look up my books on that site. There's submenus. There's actually a life purpose link, which is quite interesting. I won't tell what it is, but if someone clicks on that life purpose link, they'll find a life purpose calculator. It's all free. And, yes, uh, I did that. I'm two two four. <laughs> yes. Oh I yeah, did. yeah, yeah, great. Um, and so yeah, yeah, and and then there are uh, some online courses that people can pay whatever they like, a dollar, a hundred dollars, anything in between. If they'd like to take a quality online course, there are three of them. One of them is uh, by by Sierra and I um, on the Creative Compass, um, and some others are different kind of courses. So there are many features there at peacefulwarrior.com, and uh, I link to Sierra's site as well. But if someone can go to Sierra Prasada. Dot com to, to if they're curious about her and her work. Great, great. Thank you so much. And what a delightful interview, E, you are. Thank you. Dan, um, lovely, wonderful. So, uh, and I, I must say, you just you have lived your life in such an admirable way, and it's it's a blessing to people to be able to read um, this newest book, The Creative Compass, and see how uh, you have stepped along the writing path. And it's it's quite inspiring. So thank uh, you, thank, thank you. you. A pleasure, really. All right. And uh, we have a recorded closing here, which I will click soon, and we'll be in touch. So thank you very much, Dan. Terrific. Have a good evening. You do, too. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's Tefera Talk as much as I have. The show will be archived and accessible for later listening on our website at www.teferatjournal.com. You're invited to join our global community of writers there and to subscribe to our literary magazine, Teferat Journal. You are also welcome to submit your own poetry and prose for possible future publication. Special thanks for this and all our shows to R. Jeffries, Udo Hintz, and Lisa Sawyer. Please join us for Tefera Talk next on October 28th when Melissa Studdard interviews poet Martha Serpus. In the meantime, all of us at Tefera wish you and the world a meaningful and creative peace. May we all embody Tefera in our lives a loving heart, wise compassion, and an expansive reconciliation of opposites.